I'm Paul Smith. Keep pace with the investment management industry by attending CFA Institute's 69th Annual Conference. Welcome to the CFA Institute's Tech 15 series. My name is Srinivas Kunte. I'm the director for content at CFA Institute in Mumbai. For today's session, we have got uh, Professor Aswat Damodaran. He is the professor of finance at uh, the Stern School of Business at NYU. He is widely followed. He has got the best rating. Probably, arguably, he's the best valuation expert in the world today. Welcome, Professor Aswat. Thank you. So, uh, in an increasingly globalized uh, world, how relevant is country selection? I think let's start with the basic proposition, which is when you create a portfolio, you want to spread your risks as much as you can. So you want to be exposed to as many countries as you can. You want to be exposed to as many sectors as you can. But here's the strange thing. You don't even need to leave your domestic market if you're an American or a European to get country risk exposure. I mean, I could, using just the S&P 500 companies, get exposed to pretty much every market in the world. And that's going to be the first thing I want to draw the distinction between. I think we mix up companies with countries. You have to get country risk exposure, but you don't need that country risk exposure to come from companies in those countries. So I think it is relevant, but only as a bottom line. I see. So can one use, uh, what kind of tools, if, we, if at all we were to look at country selection, mm -hmm. uh, what are the types of tools that we can use yeah. to uh, zero down to countries where uh, one can invest or allocate funds? I think that it's very dangerous to actually start with a country and think about where should I invest because cheap countries are cheap for a reason. Right. They're cheap because they often deserve to be cheap. So Russia is the cheapest market in the world probably, but I would be crazy to put more of my money in Russia than is deserved given its place in the global economy. So I think when you look at multiples of pricing as a way of allocating across countries, you might be looking at the wrong thing. I think you're better off stepping back and saying, look, now there are some countries that are going to look cheap, but they're looking cheap for a reason. Brazil will look cheap right now. That doesn't mean I'm going to avoid Brazil as an investment, but I'm going to find an exposure to Brazil at the right price. Right. So what are, what are the kind of factors, uh, macro factors that one should heed, one should look at for uh, selecting, having an exposure to countries? And I th the, the first thing you need to draw a distinction is the type of country risk you face. I mean, some countries you face continuous risk. Continuous risk in the sense that the economies that they're in are much more volatile. They'll have ups and downs. They're like manic depressives. Everything that happens in a developed market is doubled down. So that type of risk is relatively simple to confront because it's an extension of the kind of risk. So you can say that the risk of investing in India is two and a half times the risk of investing in the U.S. because everything that happens in India is two and a half times more extreme. The risk that is troublesome, the country risk that's troublesome to deal with is what I call truncation risk, discrete risk. What are these risks? Risk that you could have nationalization. The risk that you could have war the risk that you could have an overthrow of a government. These are risks which are very difficult to confront because they don't fit easily into the tools that we have. You can't push it into the discount rate. It's not the kind of risk that lends itself easily to analysis. So my suggestion when you look at risk is don't lump all risks together. 
the risk you face in Venezuela might be coming from a very different place than the risk you face in Nigeria. Right. So uh, many people use valuation multiples uh, for, uh, for allocating funds across industries as, as well as across countries. Yeah. Uh, which of the, if one were to you know, uh, limit oneself to just valuation multiples, which uh, valuation multiple would you recommend uh, to use? I think that the less damage that can be, because I, it's, first I take back the word valuation, it's a pricing multiple, Price, because they're really not valuation yeah. multiples, they're pricing multiples. And I think the more you work down an income statement, the more danger there is to these multiples, because what you might be capturing is not a cheap market, but differences in accounting across countries. So my suggestion when you look at multiples is stay aggregated. I think revenue multiples are actually more informative than EBITDA multiples, and EBITDA multiples might be more informative than net income multiples. So steer away from multiples that require a lot of intermediate steps before to get from the top line to that line. So I, you know, keep it simple, I, and, and that's, that, that would be my overriding suggestion. Uh, how does one, for example, factor in changes in inf inflation expectations? Uh, so a country like India where now there's a, a goal for an inflation target and even at the industry level, how does one factor that in? Well, if it's a change in expectations, it's already been factored in. It's the unexpected changes that will happen in the future that you, and, and by definition, if it's an unexpected change, it cannot be factored in. That's why you demand a higher risk premium. So you have to take the karmic view on these things and that things are going to happen that I can't control. Inflation is going to be higher or lower than expected. Exchange rates are going to move in ways that I can't anticipate. So I think we have to draw a distinction between expected changes. You expect exchange rates to change a certain way. So if you have a country with a 7% inflation rate and you have the U.S. with an inflation rate of 1.5%, you should expect that currency to depreciate about 5.5%. That you should bring into your valuation. But the fact that the actual exchange rate change might be greater or lower, you really don't have control over. And trying to bring things you don't have control over into an expected version of valuation is asking for trouble. Right. So what are the trigger points, the important trigger points when one should look at one's valuation models? Uh, for instance, right now there is a lot of volatility in markets. Uh, but is there a discipline to follow? Uh, is there a, a certain... Uh, formulaic version of the discipline to follow so that one can revalue one's risk or revisit the pricing or valuation model that one has got? There's no formula that's going to work. It's just, I think it's more psychological than formulaic. I mean, it's really recognizing, again, goes back to the point of not blaming yourself for things that you don't have control over. So if you invested in China at the start of this year saying it looked cheap, you've lost money, no matter what formulas and equations and models you used. And you've got to recognize that sometimes things happen in spite of your doing. So if you try to react too much and adjust your valuation models to try to, it, it's like generals who fight the last war, right? They recreate armies saying, if I'd done that, I'd have won the last war. Too many analysts redesign valuation models to avoid mistakes from the past. The reality of valuation is the next mistake is going to look nothing like the past one. So the only thing I'd suggest is don't get stuck on a number. So there's one lesson I've learned over the last six years. You need to be dynamic. You need to keep the feedback loop open. You need to be willing to admit you're wrong, and you need to be able to move on from your mistakes. Because the more you obsess about your mistakes and trying to avoid past mistakes, the more you make new mistakes. 
Uh, any closing comments, uh, Professor Aswath, on the subject of uh, equity country allocation? I'd say don't, do, do, don't play God. I mean, I think that too often people think that with their allocation decision, they're going to find ways to make money. I, I'm still to find a person who's consistently made money as a macro asset allocator. I think there are people who get lucky and they might move into the right market at the right time. I think in a sense, I have a very simple rule in investing. If you don't bring something to the table, don't expect to take something away. And in country risk, there's nothing I'm going to bring to the table that's unique or different. So it's, it's I think, the reality that there is country risk. There's not much I can do about it. My predictive capacity when it comes to which countries are going to do well or badly are limited. So if I try to chase success in country risk, I end up doing stupid things in my portfolio. So less is more. Thank you very much, Professor Aswath, for being with us today. Thank you very much for watching this episode of Tech 15. Copyright 2016 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.